Welcome to our podcast today. I am really excited to have two excellent speakers and they're a husband and wife team. Let me set up the background, then I'll introduce them. So most encounters with customers, clients, patients are conflict-free. That's the great news, but it only takes one conflict to get out of hand to create damage. And sometimes that damage is to property, other times injury to person, sometimes death. This is horrible, but there are sound principles to avoid or mitigate escalating conflict. These principles also apply to physicians' offices. Who can cause these problems? Well, disgruntled employees, unhappy patients, irritated family members, even competitors. This is a pretty sizable laundry list. I get this call pretty frequently. Um, Jeff, I've got an issue with a patient I'm worried about. I don't know if they're going to come to my office and just make a scene. I don't know if they're going to bring a weapon. I'm worried about my staff. I'm worried about the other patients in the office. I'm worried about myself. What do I do? And the question I typically ask them initially is, are you concerned this person is a threat either to themselves or others? And the answer is frequently, I don't know. I don't think so, but I can't be sure. And wouldn't it be great to have a resource that you could rely upon to get answers to these questions? And we do have a pair of people today to help us navigate and dissect these issues. We've got Kathy Laidler as well as Paul Laidler. They both work I mean, they they perform for the Rampart Group based in Seattle, but they've got a lifetime of experience in uh, security as well as in law enforcement. And I I could go through their pedigree. If if I go through their pedigree, it will take it will take an hour to uh, to go ahead and introduce. But just suffice it to say, they've had work both in police departments, FBI, FBI special agent. Um, security for a US-based high, uh, high net worth family, as well as a Fortune 50 company. I could go on and on, I, but I don't want to eat up the time right now. I do want to let people know that their group is the Rampart Group, and you can find them online, rampartgroup.com. That's R-A-M-P as in Paul, A-R-T as in Tom, group.com. And without further ado, let me welcome both Paul and Kathy Laidler. Greetings. Greetings. Thank you, Dr. Siegel. Well, um, I can't even recall precisely how we met, but it was about something broadly connected to the online world. And then I learned a bit more about your background, your training and experience. And the more we talked, the more I thought it would be great to bring you onto the podcast to talk about some of these uh, some of these challenges, because as I mentioned in the intro, we do get calls, not frequently from an individual practice, but in aggregate, almost every practice will experience this at some point where they're concerned about their safety, about their physical well-being. And I think the initial question is the easiest one, but maybe a challenging one to answer. Why should doctors think about security? before there's a problem. I mean, normally we we react and our reactions may make the problem better and may make it worse, but wouldn't there be some utility to thinking about security before there's a problem? 
Well, I, I, I think first we have to recognize, certainly in the medical field, the healthcare profession, that there's bound to be conflict at some point, uh, much like many other businesses that Paul and I have had experience with. But certainly in the medical field, um, conflict between doctor-patient, nurse-patient, doctor and patient-family member, for instance, maybe staff versus staff or doctor versus staff. These are very, very common type conflicts that occur in many businesses. But from the, the point of a person's health care, I think you know we look at that as health care is personal. And so when we're dealing with human beings, we can expect almost anything. Um, not everyone will be happy with the results of their care, their health care providers, their doctors, nurses, staff interactions. Not everyone will be happy with that. It's not always uh, a panacea. But as you said, Dr. Siegel, the good news is that most encounters with customers, clients, patients are conflict free. And that is very good news. But we all always have to remember, if it's predictable, it's preventable. And if we think in terms of- Wait, repeat that for just a second, because I, I think that's really important. If it's predictable, it's preventable. And it's interesting, because we tend to think of conflict as being something, oh, I didn't see that coming. But I think you're trying to make the opposite point, which is you don't, you may not know about that individual conflict, but you know that conflict broadly is inevitable. Absolutely, absolutely. And, and this is a phrase that Paul and I use frequently in training sessions and always reminding ourselves in conversations that we have in, in our security consulting and private investigations business. But you know, we believe that advanced preparation in dealing with the probability that conflict can and will occur is critical. It's critical to resolving that conflict and to avoiding any type of damages and negative outcomes. And those outcomes could be everything from personal injury, loss of life, of staff or patients, uh, maybe for the office and the practice itself, avoiding disruptive litigation mm -hmm. based on uh, liabilities that, uh, that follow conflicts, uh, harm to personal and business reputation. Those are all things to consider, but importantly, we believe having a good security plan increases and inspires the confidence of those employees, those staff members, but it also makes good business sense in the long run. I think to sum it up, you know, we'll, we'll refer to Murphy's Law, if anything can go wrong, it will, right? Um, and realize that, that in your practice, you're not alone. Uh, these are common type scenarios that happen in all businesses, but we encourage thinking in advance and having a plan. You know, it's in one way, it's not entirely dissimilar to backing up your data. Uh, nobody really, I mean, I, I remember, I mean, I got involved in computers a long time ago, but early on, I'd never backed up my data until my hard drive failed and I lost it. And then I backed it up in 25 gazillion ways. I backed it up, you know, on site, I backed it up off site, probably overkill. But I think what we say is there are two types of people, those who, um, have not yet lost their data and those who have lost their data. And accordingly, once you are aware of it as a problem, you don't want that to happen to you because it's so disruptive. And when you think about security more broadly, the stakes are even higher. This, I mean, with data, yes, you, you certainly lose um, part of the business continuity. It's a headache, perhaps a big headache and perhaps a big financial headache. 
But with security, you don't get a second chance. I mean, the stakes are so high. And I think this kind of moves into how do how do you start chipping away at this? And I, I know when, when most people think about security, the first thing we talk about is physical security, hardening the environment and training. Paul, why don't you take a stab at some of some of these thoughts? It's it's more than just a lock and a key. It's more than um, just having a secure door between the waiting room and the exam rooms. Uh, I'm sure there are step steps in terms of how to think about this. And um, you don't really have to start off on your own. You can tap into tried and true principles to help manage this. Yeah, Jeff, uh, thank you. You know, um, consider, first of all, there, there are a lot of things that you can do, but first consider developing a good relationship with your local police department. Uh, we believe that, uh, that a good relationship is critical, critical to a, a good uh, a police service and a good uh, response time. Uh, you know, we recommend reaching out to the chief of police uh, or the local precinct commander and invite them into your practice to have a look around and to give you ideas about how you can improve your security. Many Let me just take a time out. I guarantee you that 99% of the people listening to this never even gave it a second thought to inviting the police in to take a look around and just welcome them into the practice. If we get nothing else out of this podcast, that is an extremely valuable pearl. Um, and I think what you're suggesting is they will accept the invitation. Is that right? Absolutely. They, they always do. They're happy to come. They want to be a part of the community and they want to engage with the community. It's important to them, and it's important to you. Um, you know, we, we also uh, recommend that you develop a real good security plan. Uh, this in, uh, inspires employee confidence and, and uh, patient confidence. And when you start thinking uh, about the security of your practice, uh, that's the perfect time to start drafting that formal security plan. Um, you, know, you know, you can also uh, ensure that all of your employees practice uh, good situational awareness. Uh, this is simple being aware and alert uh, to what's going on around you. Uh, if you are situationally aware, then you can uh, see that, that there's a potential problem uh, and you can take action. But when you have all of your employees situationally aware, they become force multipliers. And you have, uh, instead of one pair of eyes, you have four or five or 10 pairs of eyes. Uh, 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 you know, watching for you. Uh, develop a real good plan, uh, uh, procedures, and then report security threats. Your employees, uh, remember, they're your eyes and ears. Um, uh, equip them to say something. Remember, if you see something, say something, but empower your employees uh, to make that report. Uh, remember, uh, the quicker they take action, the less time that your practice is at risk. Um, Teach your employees uh, the uh, active assailant response mechanism is taught by the U.S. Department of Homeland Security uh, and most law enforcement agencies. That's a, that's a simple message. Run, hide, fight. Uh, Repeat uh, that again. Repeat that again for people to hear because it's such a simple message, but it has to almost be it has to be internalized. Oh, absolutely. In, in a crisis situation, you really only have three responses. You can run. Uh, that's evacuate. That's to get away from the situation. Uh, if you can't run, your second option would be to hide. Uh, and and if you can't uh, if you can't hide, then your last option, and in fact your only option, is to resist or fight. So run, hide, fight. That was developed by uh, Homeland Security, and uh, uh, it's it's universally practiced now in law enforcement agencies. 
and in order, I'm guessing. I mean, there's a human impulse sometimes to start at the end with fight uh, if need be, but that likely escalates the problem and limits the types of options you have available in terms of resolving a conflict. Absolutely. Absolutely. You know, I like you the know, idea. I yeah, jump in, Kathy. Oh, please. yeah, just uh, just wanted to add something that uh, an acronym that Paul and I use. You know, we talk about situational awareness, and it it really just comes down to assessing your surrounding for threats and just being aware of what's abnormal. You know, we walk through life and and we do things maybe routinely. Uh, things occur to us to be normal. Our environments are normal, but when things are when things become more abnormal, we're talking about being aware of your situation and, and being alert to it. And we have an acronym that we use. It's called Be Alert, A-L-E-R-T. And, you know, uh, you know, it's aware of your situation, aware of your environment, you know, listen to your inner voice, engage that inner voice, respond to it and trust it. A lot of times, you know, we say, well, I had a gut feeling. I knew that something was not right. It's because your gut feeling is telling you that you're in an abnormal versus a normal situation. So being alert, thinking ahead, uh, that's all critical in situational awareness. I mean, you may end up having false positives, but what's the harm of a false positive? It turns out danger was, there. The, you thought there was danger, there was no danger, but at least you were aware of it. I think the bigger concern is a false negative where you have this sense of complacency and then once the crisis escalates so quickly, nobody is prepared to take any type of action. Exactly, totally agree. Um, we had this conversation earlier. I was in a, I was, I was having a completely separate conversation about how to address the, the potential problem patient. And there are patients who are angels around the doctor. I mean, they love the doctor, walks on water, and they have a great relationship. But this patient has been the devil to everyone else in the office, to front staff, to billing, to the nurse, to everyone else. And everybody is aware of it other than the doctor. The, the doctor says, this is such a great person. The other people say, you don't see what I see. And in one sense, I like the idea of having a one strike you're out rule. Listen to your staff and empower your staff. If your staff is bullied into saying nothing, um, you may end up missing the 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 best opportunity to keep someone like this out of your practice, or if they're in your practice, to figure out how to show them the door sooner rather than later. How do you get people comfortable? How do you get your staff comfortable to speak up when they feel as if, you know, if you if you get rid of a patient, that's revenue coming in the door, and nobody likes to get rid of revenue. But on the other hand, if someone's a problem patient, it's not really a revenue builder; it's a revenue subtractor. What do you think? I think familiarity uh, uh, breeds repetition. Honestly, uh, 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 you have a staff meeting. I think it needs to be discussed uh, in in the corporate sector when uh, we we uh, deal with, uh, say, for example, in a production facility. They have stand up meetings at the beginning of a shift, and we always ask that they uh, take thirty seconds to mention security. Uh, it's the idea of repetition, and so. Uh, uh, security and reporting and, and being alert are all simple messages and it, it, it's not something that should be talked about five minutes, but take five seconds and mention it in, in staff meetings and do it weekly, do it, uh, do it regularly. 
You know, about... One thing I'll, I'll add to that, Dr. Siegel, if I may, just Please. one thought that goes back to your point, and, and that is that, you know, as the as the leader of an office, I mean, I'm sure that the staff looks to the doctor as the leader of the office. When I was in the FBI, I was an assistant special agent in charge in San Diego. One of the first things I told my supervisors, my direct reports, is to bring me the bring me the good news, but bring me the bad news too. And I think feeling, making sure that employees feel comfortable that if they have something that's not always great news to share with the boss, they should feel free and there should be an open door policy that they can do that. I think that empowers people more, uh, not necessarily to bring all of their problems to you, but certainly in a situation like this that you described, being able to, to go directly to your boss uh, in a work environment and share things that aren't always great news is really important to them. And I think it does instill confidence in them that you're a great leader, you care and you understand and that you'll 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 address the situation appropriately. Sometimes even if you empower people to bring bad news and you encourage them to also think about potential solutions, it's even more empowering. So we, we call it the dead cat. Don't bring a dead cat unless you also bring a live cat. <laughs> I like that. I'm I, I'm going. I'll, I'll remember that one. <laughs> it's a good one. Yeah, I give props to Ronnie Dean. He works in the. He, when he first talk, started talking about the dead cat, I go, "What are you talking about? I have no idea what you're talking about." And then he explained it and made complete and total sense. Let's do a segue into employees because employees, you know, are the lifeblood of a practice as well as patients but these are the people that we work with and how do we get more information uh, about this um, background checks can we do them should we do them credit checks can you do them are they legal i mean there's a whole collection of signals that we hope to get from uh, from prior employers about prospective employees what what can we do what should we do kathy your thoughts on that yeah, Actually, I think Paul. That, excuse me. Yeah, I'll I'll let Paul start, but I I have some uh, some thoughts that I'll add to, do, to that as well. Thank you. Well, well, we we believe that background checks are critically important, and and uh, particularly when you're in close contact with potentially uh, vulnerable people. Um, but be careful what type of background check that you order for your employees or or for your prospective employees. Um, uh, criminal and civil reporting, it's, it's simply not universal and it exists in, a, in, uh, in diverse uh, repositories. And so uh, you have to specify that you're looking for a, a full 50 state criminal and civil background check. Uh, and you also want to be sure to verify education and, uh, and other credentials. Um, failing to check uh, adequately is uh, 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 evidence of negligence and, and it can expose you to significant risk. Now, as an example, we were recently retained by attorneys representing several young boys who had been sexually molested by a sexual predator who actually had been arrested in Oregon and was awaiting trial. He moved to Washington State and went to work for a small town uh, as a coach in their summer uh, football mm. and uh, wrestling program. And of course, he ended up assaulting several of the boys. And the city was held accountable for that. Uh, 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 the, the failure to background check was, uh, was evidence of negligence. So it sounds like so when people do a background check, do are their commercial are all vendors equal? How do people go about that step? I know that when we've recruited for our business, sometimes we've hired a headhunter and we often rely upon their background check. And 
it seems like that may be a helpful first step, but I wonder whether it makes sense just to do our own individual background check whether, and have to figure out the right vendors to get to actually accomplish that. I'm sure they're not all created equal. Is that right? No, they're not. They're not. In, uh, in a lot of situations, uh, for example, uh, uh, state police agencies will offer uh, a background check. And oftentimes, as it is in Washington state, that check uh, shows uh, criminal arrest in Washington only. Mm. Uh, uh, you know, there are companies that specialize in background checks that are large national companies that uh, do this as a specialty. It takes about a week uh, because a lot of information gets pulled from a lot of different repositories and, uh, and then it has to be verified. Uh, and and uh, these, th these background checks are honestly quite good. Um, but uh, but you have to be careful to, to vet your vendors carefully. I mean, one of the things that's important in terms of checking people's backgrounds is to see, do they tell the truth? Or have they put down works of fiction on their, on their resume? And it may not be important whether they went to a particular university and got a particular degree or not, but in a grander scheme, it does describe whether they tell the truth or not. And I think certainly in healthcare, you have to have people who you can trust, people that are telling the truth. Because if, for example, a lab result comes back in and they say that they called the patient and it turns out they didn't call the patient, that's a problem. But these types of little, these, these hints may be apparent well in advance of, um, of of you hiring them. It may be on their CV and just checking their their resume, their curriculum vitae, looking for signals of truth or fiction uh, may, may, be the, may be the best determinant. It's not so much where they went to college, what the degree was in, and maybe where they worked before, but do they tell the truth? Absolutely. If you will lie about the toothpick, you will lie about the tree. <laughs> if you lie about the toothpick, you will lie about the tree. Right. I know. See, I've given you the dead cat and the live cat. Um, with permission, I'd like to use the toothpick and tree, if you would not mind, correct? Of course. In practices, many people manage money. People at the front desk manage money. Um, I would think you would prefer to hire people that do not have money problems because if someone has a money problem, they may be tempted to try and solve that money problem with cash coming in. I cannot tell you the number of times I've heard the rationalization, oh, the doctor makes a great living, I'm not taking that much, he won't notice it. Um, without me, this practice would be dead, this doctor relies upon me to make this happen. How do you identify whether someone who's going to be entrusted with money has a financial problem because you don't want to give someone the temptation to work around cash if they have a cash problem? Yeah, I think, um, you know, that really is a, a very serious issue. And I, you know, recall a situation where a gentleman who he was a paralegal in a law firm and he was entrusted with money, um, you know, signed the checks and, and paid the bills for the law firm, et cetera. That was an ancillary duty of his. Um, he was a wonderful gentleman, uh, had grown children. Um, both of his children were in college. His wife was a nurse. 
and uh, no one knew that he and his, his family were uh, going through some financial difficulties. That was never a red flag for them. He never discussed it. They had no idea. He handled this money. It ended up that the law firm uh, was uh, short $30,000, and they traced it back to him. And he had been taking the money over time. And, and later, he admitted that he did take it. Um, he was arrested and convicted. Uh, incarcerated for some time as well. This was many years ago, but it really, uh, it, it goes to the point that sometimes uh, just by sight and working with someone in the office, we don't really understand what's going on with them. We don't understand their their financial uh, issues. And uh, I, as Paul said, you know, I, I, the credit check itself, it has to be relevant to the position. So I think in a, in a case where you have someone who is handling money, you definitely you definitely want to do a criminal background check as well to see if they've ever been convicted of any crimes related to theft, mm -hmm. et cetera. Those things are important. Uh, so yeah. you 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 know it's it's more than just an online check. And I think the the benefit of someone like us, like Paul and myself, having worked in law enforcement, we've seen situations that can go wrong. We think about these things in advance and we certainly encourage our clients to maybe take that extra step and look a little bit further to determine a little bit more about assets and and if we see any red flags that relate to to financial situations uh, we make them known to our clients well i've talked to several doctors who have been embezzled um, to the point that they ultimately had to file for bankruptcy and then it, the bankrupt, and then it also had a corollary tax problem because um, they hadn't paid taxes on all the money that was coming through, money they never really got because it was embezzled out. It was the double whammy. Now, each of these people ultimately resuscitated themselves, and they're both quite successful, but along the path, they had some very dark moments. And I think the uniform theme was no one saw it coming. They trusted these people. They couldn't imagine life without them because they helped them build the practice. But at some point, um, a small amount of embezzlement became a much larger amount of embezzlement. I think the uh, the embezzlers became emboldened over time. They probably probably started off with just a minor amount and they realized, well, they didn't get caught. Doctor, trust me double down and they got used to a particular lifestyle that required more and more cash and you know, continue the cycle till it became patently apparent that there was a great deal of embezzlement going on the doctor was working harder and harder bringing home less and less so i mean there's some real lessons to be learned here but um, the uniform theme is that when people are embezzled over a period of time it's usually by people they trusted and couldn't even imagine that individual engaging in such despicable behavior. Yeah, we totally agree. That's exactly what we've seen. What about um, drugs and people trying to feed a habit? That's the other thing that we've seen, not just embezzlement for the sake of uh, the thrill or supporting a lifestyle, but because they're feeding a habit. Um, we've, we've also seen that where someone is just needs enough cash to get through to the next week to feed a particular habit, not common, but you know, it's not, it's certainly not a case report in a doctor's practice. You know, people who have a um, maybe a recent or a long term history of substance abuse, these are the types of things that you'd certainly want to flesh out if you can. But every state treats it differently, and there are certainly limitations of what, what can be done. 
drug abuse is a good indicator and and the, the uh, criminal background check oftentimes will find the history of uh, of arrests that are there uh, you know the civil background check also shows uh, maybe a lack of responsibility in the presence of judgments and liens and bankruptcies mm -hmm. and things of that nature so there there are clues out there not in every situation but in many situations so the idea is to do the research and and eliminate those that you can find, and then watch uh, carefully to manage the uh, remainder of the risk. This help you make an informed decision. The other thing, of course, is call previous employers if they'll speak to you. Um, if someone will not return a call uh, when you're asking, did so-and-so work for you at a particular uh, point of time, then they may be signaling look, I would never hire this person again. Now, you have to take that with a grain of salt because it may very well be that the prior employer is irritated that their amazingly great employee took off and they've never been able to replace such a great employee. But it's just like anything else. It's a data point. It's another, uh, another tool to help you make an informed decision. The more, you, more information you get from a prior employer, and I think the key question, it's almost like the net promoter score, um, would you hire this person again? Was this a talented employee? What, do you, what did they do well? What didn't they do well? A lot of this is useful information to figure out whether that person can and should be a member of your team. Absolutely, and I think I think your references are extremely important in uh, in uh, not only not only just calling the the human resource department. But the direct employer, the the direct manager, uh, oftentimes uh, a second line supervisor is willing to to chat with you a bit and to share experiences where uh, someone maybe, for example, in human resources is not. So there there are there are opportunities out there, but it takes some diligence and it takes some digging. But honestly, it's it's worth it in the long run. I mean, Thank if you're going to be working, yeah, if you're going to be working with someone for years, it's worth spending an hour on the phone with someone if you can find the right individual just to make sure you've dotted your I's and crossed the T's. Absolutely.